50 States of Joy. If you have been following along with us, Pastor Danielle gave the first message and uh, Pastor Mark gave the second one. And both of those, if you haven't heard, they're up on the podcast. We encourage you to go back and check them out. And I've already heard some fantastic feedback and uh, hearing about how joy is integral to our faith and our journey. But I've also heard that it's coming at a really good time for some of you. That in the midst of continuing chaos and dysfunction, and in the midst of uncertainty, how does this principle or concept of joy live and thrive in our lives and in our community? Let me uh, say a quick prayer as we get into our message. And if you have your Bibles, I'm going to encourage you to grab it. We're going to go to Luke chapter 1. Father God, thank you so much once again for the opportunity to study. And as we dig into uh, this... um, this chapter, this song of Mary, I pray that our minds and our hearts would be opened. This is is not just a song. These are not just religious platitudes. These are powerful, deep, insightful ideas, concepts, encouragements for how we can live and transform this world by our living. So help us to be open to that today. And I pray, God, that you would just simply use this teaching to push us even further, deeper, more connected with whatever this brilliant thing is called joy. Help us to have our minds shifted, our hearts tugged at, our spirits pulled in another direction and our wills jolted once again towards behaving and living in such a way as to bring about your joy in this world. And I pray in your name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. Luke chapter 1 is going to be my passage that I'd like to share with you, starting in verse 46 through verse 55. If you have your Bible, you can open it and take some notes and highlight a couple things as we are wont to do. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. My friends, I'd like to start with the question, what brought you joy this week? What brought you joy this week? Anybody want to share something that brought you joy this week? Sunshine. Graduation. Students graduating. Students graduating. Very nice. Watching the sunset at Stinson Beach. Oh, grandson visiting. Finding out I'm getting a niece. Friday what? You're getting a niece? You're, oh, you're getting a niece. I was like, getting a niece? 
I have no idea what getting a niece means. You're getting a niece. Well, congratulations. Yeah, you've been gone from your wife for a long time, so the wife coming home. Very. Nice. Oh, do you hear the collective joy? Actually, that was collective like, oh, that was a little heaviness in the room, yeah. Okay, my turn. I'm going to share with you a couple things that brought me joy this week. Over the last couple months, I started on a home project, and that home project was digitizing all of my cassette tapes that I had been holding on since the 80s. I have about 700 of these. This is taking a little bit longer than I anticipated. Let me tell you how slow cassette tapes are. Uh, Ezekiel, cassette tapes are these little plastic things. Oh, okay, just want, just want to make sorry, sorry. Just, just making sure everybody's on board. Just generations these days. And uh, in uh, digitizing some of these cassette tapes, I ran across uh, some cassettes by this gentleman right here. Uh, some of you may know him. His name is Mike Iaconelli. He had an untimely death uh, in a car accident uh, a couple years ago, over a decade ago. But I was listening, as I was digitizing, listening to one of the messages that he gave back in the early 90s. When I was in ministry and working for a church, hanging out with kids, doing lock-ins, those overnighters, and I had almost gotten to the point where I felt like I am never doing church work or ministry work again. I quit. Has anybody ever had that feeling where you feel like you're following your calling? You're doing what you feel like God has called you to do, and it just grinds the soul out of you. And I listened to this message, and I remember it took me back, see, 30 years ago now, I guess, 20 some odd years ago, when he told a story about building sandcastles. And my heart and my emotions got thrust back to that moment where I felt like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. And something about his teaching, something about what he was sharing, something about his empathy with the feeling of failure, his empathy with the tiredness and the frustration of work resonated with me and jolted me back in and say, I think I can do this again. There are other people who feel the same way that I do. Mike Iaconelli would talk a lot about uh, people being failures and about how Jesus hangs around with losers all the time. He would say things like, Jesus has ruined my life, and it's been the best thing that's ever happened to me. Uh, he would say things like, I pastor the slowest growing church in America. And this was at a time when people were boasting about the fastest or largest growing churches in America. And he would just feed your soul in that way. And this brought me joy. He would say things like this. I want a lifetime of holy movements. Every day I want to be in dangerous proximity to Jesus. I long for a life that explodes with meaning and is filled with adventure, wonder, risk, and danger. I long for a faith that is gloriously treacherous. I want to be with Jesus, not knowing whether to cry or to laugh. These words just fed my soul. And so digitizing these tapes from a long time ago has just brought me a little bit of a sense of joy. This brought me some joy. I have no idea why. So apparently Danielle posted this on her Facebook, and uh, I don't know anything about Pokemon or Pikachu. I just can barely say the name. But watch what happens here. First of all, this is just silly, okay? This has some sort of a... Look at the center one, what's happening to him. And then watch the chaos that ensues from here. Yeah. 
And something about that just made me fall into a belly laugh. You had uh, apparently it's dangerous, you know, if those things deflate upon you. Now here's later on in the video, I, I cut it for you. He comes back. Oh, he's been fixed. Apparently the fan or whatever was broken got fixed, and so now he's coming back. And now watch what happens <laughs> to him. And the people, I don't know if you can see it, they are just dying laughing. And now he's just headed off to the back. Apparently what happened is the Pikachu started to deflate. The gentleman that works for this organization ran up to help, but security thought it was a crazy guy just running out to grab. So he comes out and notice he grabs him. Then another security guy says, no, 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 he works for... And then just all chaos ensued. That was the story and it kind of went crazy. And it was one of those moments uh, where you just, I just fell into a belly laugh. Maybe I was a little stressed that day or something. I just needed that little bit of a release. That was the second thing that brought me joy this week. Third thing that brought me joy this week, of course, is hanging out with Phoebe. And uh, I get to spend uh, some wonderful time with her. <laughs> so we go to... <laughs> We, we do go to Starbucks, and we get our sandwiches, and we, we enjoy our little walks. And I, and I said, Phoebe. And then you have this moment where you go, oh, dear Lord. People are going to be misspelling her name for the rest of her. What have I done as a parent to this poor child, right? So, yeah, exactly. So, Question. What brought you the opposite of joy? Don't answer. <laughs> Share that around your tables at dinner. Some of you, it's the government. Some of you, it's just politics, period. There's a lot of stuff going on, as you know. And whenever you click on that news feed or that thing pops up, it is the antithesis of joy in your life. Some of you, it's a boss or a workplace or an organization or a company that just can't seem to get it together. This week, again, it's almost a regular occurrence every single week where I hear another story of somebody caught in a situation at work where the employees are wonderful, they're dedicated, they're passionate, and the supervisors, the managers, the executors are out of their mind. For some of you, it's the tragic death of loved ones, or even a tragic injustice that happens. Um, I'm thinking, of course, of Jordan Edwards that was shot and killed this week. Once again, part of the conversation that we continually have to have. And if you don't know who Jordan Edwards is, I would encourage you to look up the story and read about what's going on and the shifts and the changes and how that situation is being handled and why, for us, reading The New Jim Crow is deeply important. For some of you, what did not bring you joy is a remembrance or an anniversary of somebody who is not with you or a sickness that has come along. And for some of you, the antithesis of joy, the thing that is opposite of joy for you, is just having to live with the own demons of your own soul. Depression, frustration, fatigue, insecurity, uncertainty as to what, it, what you think you are even valuable for or worth. Now, I ask this question because we're in a series entitled The 50 States of Joy, and we're trying to ask some questions about joy. And 
we go through these exercises because it's good for us, and it does something to us. It heightens things that happen in our hearts. The first question, what brought you joy? All of this was happening in your bodies. You can feel it. Dopamine, the reward chemical that makes you feel good. Uh, oxytocin, it's the trust or the bonding. Whenever you laugh with somebody, you actually build trust. And endorphins, uh, the things that kill the pain in your body. All of these things come rushing in when we talk about all the things that brought you joy this week. And then when we talk about the things that don't bring you joy, uh, these are the things that happen. Cortisol, the stress hormone or adrenaline, the thing that keeps things going and going, but at very accelerated levels. Here's the difference, as you already know. There is a tremendous difference between joy and happiness, and even that exercise alone was complicated for me because I should have asked the question, what brought you happiness this week? Because psychologists and sociologists, people who study this stuff, recognize, and theologians and philosophers recognize that there is a very clear difference between joy and happiness. Because happiness, as you can see, can actually be formulated. And there is an entire industry around helping you become more happy. And they have created pharmaceuticals in order to make this happy. Some of you are very aware of this. And by the way, this is good. This is helpful. Those emotions are important. They're there for a reason. But the problem with having the conversation or trying to figure out what is the difference between happiness and joy is that the two words are so conflated that it's almost impossible for us to talk about joy without our brains immediately going to those good feelings that happen. And so while all of these things are wonderful, in this passage that we just read in Luke chapter 1, I'm going to propose has nothing to do with those feelings, but has everything to do with a decision, a will, a discipline. And that is something that I think is going to be really, really critical for getting to all of these things, no doubt. But it is at a much more fundamental base, much more deep foundational level in our hearts and our souls than the mere chemicals that happen in our body. The passage in Luke chapter 1 is called the Magnificat. The Magnificat. It's a very famous passage where Mary finds out that she is pregnant, that she has been uh, impregnated by the Holy Spirit, that she is going to bear a son. And if you know anything about biblical history, you know that barrenness is one of those deep wounds, one of those deep uh, kind of images and pictures of how God somehow has not shown favor. And so when Mary finds out that she is pregnant, most of us interpret this passage, or at least as I have heard it, as a celebration of this miraculous event that has happened. The Magnificat is about how she didn't have kids, or she was unmarried, and now she is. But that misses a little bit of what that story is. What I'm going to propose to you is that what she is doing as you read carefully the passage, what she's quoting, what she's referencing, what kind of themes are being illuminated, is that she's digging deep into something about the story that has been told about her, about her people, and about how this event of her becoming pregnant encapsulates all of that together. In a world where a lot of things are happening that are the antithesis of happiness, where in a world where a lot of things are happening that are the opposite of joy. There's really only one point that I'd like to suggest for you today that I'd like to impress upon you. Joy 
is not a feeling. It's not happiness. It's not any of those things. Joy, according to this passage, is a justice strategy. Joy as a justice strategy. In fact, would you say this so it's on your lips? Because I'd really love for you to take this home. Say the whole thing with me. Joy is a justice strategy to have faith that God is at work in this world. And this is what is highlighted in this passage. Let's uh, go back a little bit. Remember the context of this passage. Elizabeth and Mary actually become pregnant around the same time. And they have this encounter in this story. Mary and Elizabeth meet one another. And the child in Elizabeth's womb jumps for joy, if you remember this. This is all part of the narrative. And Elizabeth says something here. She says, How blessed am I that the mother of my Lord has come to me. And then she says, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. This is not just happiness. This is not just about, hey, you got pregnant, I got pregnant, woohoo, let's throw a shower. You have to remember that the context in which she's saying this and the phrase Lord is coming within a time when horrible oppressors are claiming to be Lord, King, and even God on earth. This is Herod the Great. And for those of you who've been around Spark, you know, Herod was not great. He's actually known as Herod the Wicked, who slaughtered a thousand Jews upon his taking of the throne, killed his brother-in-law in in a swimming accident in Jericho, killed his own wife because he was afraid that she was going to try to take over the throne, and at his particular death, ordered that a thousand Jewish aristocrats would be slaughtered so that there would be mourning in the land of Israel. This is not a great guy. And he is king of the Jews, who's on Rome's throne. This guy, his name is Octavian, You don't know that in your Bible because his name in your Bible is Augustus. Why? Because Octavian was the adopted son of Julius Caesar. But because he was such an exalted person, if Julius Caesar was also an exalted person, then Octavian should also be very exalted and worshipped. So he changed his name to the August One or Augustus. So in your Bible, he's known as Caesar Augustus. And on his coins, he has written Caesar Augustus, the divine, claiming to be God. So when Mary and Elizabeth get together, and Elizabeth says, how blessed am I that the mother of my Lord is here. This is subversive language. This is, we know we're living under these people. We know that they are corrupt. We know that they are um, instituting legislation that's really going to hurt a lot of people. We know that they are doing things that are going to be hurtful to the citizenry. They, we know all this. But my Lord is different. And here comes the joy. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior to which everybody around her goes, seriously, uh, do you really want to rejoice right now with all the trouble in the world? How can you be so happy? Stop it. Do you know those people that everything, all hell is breaking loose and you have some people that are just so happy and all you want to do is just grow their throats and go, what is wrong with you? Don't you see how bad things are? what you don't understand or what we may miss sometimes in this is that what Mary is doing is actually very subversive. 
Again, joy as a justice strategy. There's several voices in the Bible. One of them is known as the prophet. The prophet is the voice that I was just talking about earlier. Don't you recognize what is wrong in this world? And we have to do something about it. So we got to start pointing some figures. We got to start, you know, throwing some tables over. We got to start breaking some jars. We got to, you know, we got to create some chaos because you don't understand how things are going on around here. That's the prophetic voice. But then there's also the voice of the psalmist who in the midst of all the chaos goes, I totally bless God. I praise God. Lift up a thousand tongues to him. The seas and the rivers and the oceans and the trees all sing his glorious name. And oftentimes we sing the Psalms as if we are, or sometimes we get critiqued as if we're delusional. Don't you see what's going on? But this is not about being delusional. This is about facing the very thing that you're facing and yet being able to say, my God is greater and so I will bless him and so I will praise him. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices. There's that joy in God, my savior. There's that word savior, the one who's going to take you from all of these things. So if this sounds like a psalm, it is. Mary, and we don't have time to go into this, but here's a couple. Psalm 8, Psalm 103, Psalm 107, Psalm 111, Psalm 138, and Hannah's song from 1 Samuel chapter 2. Mary is pulling from all of these traditions to lift up her voice, to declare that even in the midst of corruption and chaos, even in the, in the midst of horrible things going on, I will rejoice. My soul, my life, how I live, my very being, and my spirit, this is my breath, and my voice, I am going to magnify the Lord. And in many ways, in many ways, it is literally magnify the Lord because the corruption, the evil, the Herods and the Caesars of the day, they are really, really big. They're huge. They're all over. The coins are all over. Their names are listed on everything that they build. That's Herod. That, their name is everywhere. And so by saying my soul magnifies the Lord, I am going to declare that while those characters, those people may be big, I'm going to magnify my God. He is bigger. Right in the midst of the pain and the suffering, and the tears and the oppression, in the midst of all that, my soul is going to magnify God. For he looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. We use that word lowliness to often mean, oh, Mary was very humble. No, if you remember several, uh, it was almost two years ago now, we talked about the word lowly means somebody who has been made low. Somebody who has been oppressed. Somebody who has been put down by the systems or the governments or the powers that be. God has looked with favor upon us. And this is why I'm magnifying my God. He has shown strength with his arm. Listen to this language. This isn't, hey, this is so happy I got pregnant. He has shown strength with his arm, scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts, brought down the powerful from the throne. Can you imagine if Herod or Caesar heard this? They would be threatened and lifted up the lowly, the meek, those who have been oppressed. He has filled the hungry with good things. And sent the rich away hungry or empty. This is not about just celebrating something that happened to you. This is a subversive justice strategy. Bad things are happening. But I know what my God is and is capable of doing. 
my guess is that the vast majority of us don't really need to be reminded that this world is dysfunctional. If I told you that there's chaos in this world, I doubt any of you in this room would go, really? Is that so? But what we do need frequently because of the way our psyches are governed by the way that our psychology works, we need to be reminded frequently that even in the midst of that dysfunction, God is at work. God is moving. God is doing something. And notice the pronouns that is used here. He has done this. He has shown this. He does these things. And for all of you listening, all of you listening to this gospel message who feel like you've been made low, that feel like you've been oppressed, this is what God does. And in some ways saying that God does this, she is subversively saying, Herod, Caesar, you don't. You're not that great. Go ahead. Kill everybody in your way. Go ahead. Legislate oppressive policies in the land. Go ahead. Write your name. Write your name on every coin that you can get your hand on. And, and, and by the way, just call yourself divine and the worshipped one on every single piece of money that you can do. You are not all that special. My God does this. My God lifts up the lowly. My God brings down the prideful. My God fills us with good things. This joy that she describes and declares in this song is what I'm suggesting to you is a justice strategy of being able to shift a way of thinking about what's happening in this world through rejoicing. In remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. By the way, this God has been doing this ever since the beginning. And she pulls in the whole strand, the whole string of tradition all the way back to Abraham and reminds herself and those who are listening, this God does this. So, to all of you Lucys in the world, Mary comes along and says, with all the trouble in the world, how can you not be rejoicing? I want you to feel that shift. With all the trouble in the world, how can you not be rejoicing? Because this song is a victory song that does something in us that transforms the way we think, that transforms the way we see, that transforms our hope and our vision and the God that we believe in and how that empowers us to move forward in the very ethics and the values that this God wants. In this particular way, I, I suggest that joy is similar to hope and that it is not a delusion. No, nowhere in this song or nowhere in the scriptures, when we talk about praising God and being joyful, does it say, therefore, just ignore all the crap that's happening. No, this is not a delusion. This is not a delusion from suffering and the suffering that exists in the world. It's a strategy of overcoming it. This suffering, this pain, this chaos will not get here because my heart rejoices in God, my Savior. And that can change everything. So let's just re remind ourselves. Here's your takeaway. Friends, there's chaos and dysfunction in the world. All of you go, oh, really? No, you don't do that. There's chaos and there's dysfunction in this world. Magnify the Lord. 
Get that, get that magnifying glass out and say, yeah, 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 you, go ahead. Do what you're going to do. My God is bigger. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices. So start reminding yourself of how big, capable, powerful, influential this God is. Two, sing a song of rejoicing in what God is doing. Every single one of those issues that we could bring up, that's chaos and dysfunction. Somewhere, somewhere, God is working. God is at work. And all of the corruption, whether it be pain, suffering, medical, government, job, employment, there are people who are called by God doing really, really good work. So begin singing a song and rejoicing in what God is doing so that you can get on board with what that is. And then remember your story. Remember the history. Remember the past. Remember that God has been doing this since the very beginning, all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. That's what this story is about. So my friends, I, I am pleading with myself and all of us that joy is a justice strategy. I, I know that it can often be seen as if we're just being delusional by praising and worshiping and in the midst of all this. No, no, no. That's not what Mary is doing. In the midst of all of that, she is declaring a way to move forward. Now, how does this work for today? I'm going to be a little bit real here. Over the last several months, I hear a lot of negativity, a lot, about how bad this is, about how horrible this is, and about how this is so corrupt and uh, how dysfunctional these things can be. It inundates us. By the way, that prophetic voice is good, and it's needed. So I don't want you to dismiss that. But I also know that if we continue down that strain of making that our enemy continually over and over again, something happens to us, my friends. The bitterness, the hate. This is why love your enemies is so powerful. I wish I could read you a whole bunch of Rene Girard's work. He was a philosophy professor over at Stanford that died not too long ago one of the most brilliant thinkers regarding pain and suffering and trauma, uh, as well as justice and religion and violence. And he said this, choose your enemies carefully because you will be like them. You will become like them. And the more and more and more the vitriol comes from us about how bad this world is, the more and more we actually become that. So Mary's strategy is still about justice, but it's about what God is doing, not just how horrible these people are. I would also suggest to you that the Magnificat challenges us to have faith that God really, 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 really is at work. Amazing things are happening in this world, but not always in the way that we expect that God ought to work. And that's where we get confused. We think God is supposed to work in this direction, and when it doesn't happen this way, that's when all that stuff begins to well up. But that's not always how it does work. But that doesn't mean that God isn't at work. If you read the books about joy, this is just a very small sampling. I picked up Option B recently, and uh, the Book of Joy by the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu. Option B by Sheryl Sandberg, Adam Grant. I actually very much recommend all of these. They're really incredible reads. None of these books, Surprised by Joy by C.S. Lewis, Option B, The Book of Joy, none of these books start with how happy we should be. They all start. They all start with tragedy, pain, 
loss, hurt. C.S. Lewis loses his wife. Sheryl Sandberg loses her husband. And the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu have all sorts of political, nationalistic stuff that they've come from. And it is from that place that they well up within and somehow find a track of joy within it, not at a dismissal of the pain, as a strategy for bringing justice into this world through it. Sometimes it can seem as if our actions are very, very small. Like, but I don't have a lot of joy. I just have a little bit of it. That's okay. We have a faith as small as a mustard seed, do we not? Just a little bit. Just a little bit of believing that God is good, that God is powerful, that God can... Just a little bit. And you never know where it's going to blossom. As I was digitizing Mike Iaconelli's talks, I ran into a kid from my youth group from 10 years ago. That same day, I got word that my youth pastor passed away. This all happened within this 24, 48-hour period of time. My youth pastor passing away from cancer, I got word from it through the grapevine, through Facebook. Just kind of like sullened me. And then I run into this kid from my youth group from many, many years ago. And he shared with me, very, I feel very humbled by this. He just shared how much my life had meant to him, my love and my care of him. None of this happens the way that we want it to happen, but somehow God is still at work. And right during the time where I thought, I need to quit this job and I can't do this ministry anymore, God is somehow at work. And I did not take any joy in it. I was just so frustrated. And looking back now, I see, oh, what joy. Um, I don't want to belabor the point, but of course, this is a, a lot of fun. But many of you know the story. We've referenced it here before. Phoebe did not happen the way that we expected it to happen. But yet, you hold on to this God that can do so much, so big, and he is at work. I can't see it. I can't even understand it. Sometimes I don't even want to understand, but God still is at work. And let me hang on to that joy as a strategy for getting through the pain. And many of you, as Danielle has mentioned before, were a part of that story for us. And I have no idea how to tie this in, but with all the talks of the things that are happening in Asia, I thought, hey, let's just watch some Pikachu right now. So, um, question, what's your song? What's your song? I'll leave you with that today. Not a song of delusion. Not a song of happy, happy, joy, joy, everything is fine and dandy. What's your justice strategy song that reminds you in the midst of all the things that do not bring you happiness, that reminds you that God is still at work, that there is good in this world, and that this God is moving forward. What is your song? And then sing it. Write it down and remind yourself of it over and over and over again. The next step of that is see what happens to your soul and your spirit as you do. How that changes your demeanor. How that changes your mindset. How that changes your posture and your attitude towards life.
God, thank you so much for Mary's song, and I pray that somewhere, something in all of this inspired us and challenged us to live a song out in this way. Thank you for this series, and I pray so much, God, that we would embrace fully and completely the joy of the Lord, your joy, that grounds us in who you are, even in the midst of chaos and dysfunction. And I pray in your name. Amen.